Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we will be discussing James Bond and Q, or double OQ, from the James Bond series. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. So James Bond, this is exciting. Yeah. I know you, you in particular are a James Bond fan. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I do enjoy James Bond. If you don't know who that is, listen to her. <laughs> Quick intro of the, one of the most famous characters in film and literary history. Who we're talking about today is uh, James Bond. He's a spy. You know, he's been in a, a long running series of films. And so this ship is between James and his mm-hmm. quartermaster, Q. Is that a particular person? Are there a lot of quartermasters? What's the situation there? So I think that brings us to what specifically we're covering. As we all know, James Bond has been portrayed by a series of actors. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, Q was portrayed by one actor, Desmond Llewellyn, who was an, an older gentleman. And he passed away... And initially, it looked like they were going to pass the role onto John Cleese. He's in the last mm. one or two Brosnans. But when they rebooted with Craig, that wasn't going to be a good fit for the tone yeah. that they were going for. Yeah, there's something a little inherently silly about Cleese that seems a little out of place. And he was definitely playing it for comedy. Yeah. So the first couple of Craig's, there is no cue, which was unusual. Where was he getting all of his guns from? <laughs> well, there is some guy who brings him tech in Casino Royale. He brings him that defibrillator or whatever he has. Which, like, what tech? I mean, a defibrillator? Get out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the Craig series, I think they've leaned away from the the more outlandish weapons and technology, which they make reference yes. to in the Wishaw movie. When the quartermaster arrives. So yeah. as you mentioned, the new quartermaster is played by Ben Wishaw. He is, of course, a much younger gentleman. And, you know, he's more techie. We're in the modern era. It's not all about exploding pens. Now we got to hack into things. So you need a, a young mm-hmm. guy. And this has led to the development of this ship, specifically between Daniel Craig's 007 and Ben Wishaw's Q. Yep. I know we said at the top, right, we're talking from the James Bond series, but we're really going to be focusing in on the two Bond movies that Ben Wishaw appears in so far, Skyfall and Spectre. If the pandemic hadn't happened and No Time to Die had come out last year, we'd be talking about that too. We would, but we can't yet. So we'll revisit if something crazy happens when that finally is released. We have both seen Skyfall and Spectre. Yeah, I have seen both of them, but I rewatched Skyfall this past week, I did not rewatch Spectre. So Spectre conversation is going to be your responsibility. <laughs> Which is fine. And then generally, are you a Bond fan, Maddie? I definitely enjoy the concept of Bond generally. I've seen all the Craig ones. I have not seen very many of the ones before Craig. Mm-hmm. And I like some of the Craig ones more than others. <laughs> that is fair. Yeah, but... You know, I'm not by any means a super fan. I don't have extensive knowledge of the previous Bond actors or the Bond universe, but I am not opposed. I like a spy movie as much as the next guy. Well, luckily, I don't think it's super relevant to the conversation. But you 
Tell me about your relationship with Bond. So both my parents are very into James Bond. So I've been watching these movies my entire life. We had all of them on VHS in the early O's. So those were on a lot in the house. And so, yeah, I've I've seen them all. I rewatch them somewhat regularly. I have a bit of a weird relationship with them in that I've rewatched them quite a bit, but like most of them are not great. They have like good set pieces. But if you were to ask me, what the plot of many of the movies are, I'd be like, I don't know what anyone is trying to accomplish. And also that movie is so long, but (laughs) there's something about them where I'm like, yeah, I'll rewatch any Bond movie at any time. I don't care. And I like some Bonds more than other Bonds. These Mm -hmm. Craig ones are difficult for me. Yeah, you have a particular relationship with the (laughs) Craig Bond. Who's your favorite Bond? Connery. I mean, fair. Followed by Dalton. I like the Dalton. He was only in two, but I like them quite a bit. All right. But yes. Because the ship is really focused on these two young white guys, we're limiting our our real discussion to to Skyfall Inspector. So I might have given away a little bit of our thoughts about this, but Maddie, why do people ship these two? When we started the journey, each each episode of the podcast has its own journey. A journey of discovery. (laughs) Exactly. And when we embarked on the James Bond journey of discovery, we both were just from our own recollections of having watched the movies years earlier, thinking... We don't really understand why this ship is such a big deal. We kind of remember them having a little bit of bantery interaction, but I don't remember it being a huge part of the movies. I didn't remember anything specifically that felt ship baby or anything. So I think in our minds when we started this, it felt like a a classic case of just attractive white guys on film together getting shipped because they're attractive white guys on film together. Right. And do you think that that is what the facts bore out? Well, rewatching Skyfall, which obviously would be where the ship started, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not getting the shipping vibes from this. Especially right too. I am rewatching it with my shipping glasses on. So I'm trying to specifically yeah. look for it, which I think is also different than how I maybe initially watched the movie. Yes, they do have a bit of banter, but I yes. also didn't like it. Yeah, you you thought some of the banter was a little aggressive. It was mean. <laughs> In particular, the part where Bond is supposed to get on a train and Q is like, yeah, Bond, it's the tube at rush hour, but you wouldn't know about that. And I was like, where does this come from? <laughs> you don't even really know him. Maybe he takes the train. I don't know. <laughs> why, would, why would he? I mean, I just didn't know where it was coming from. It just seemed like yeah. something happened between them that we didn't see. <laughs> I was like, this is intense and weird. Yeah. So, I mean, there is, but to be fair, there's like a flirtiness to some of the banter, whether or not it it verges on mean-spirited at times. But particularly, we wrote down to remember this moment when Bond is going through the tunnels and he's trying to get a door open when Q's directing him around and and he's like, it won't open. And Q says, of course it will. Put your back into it. And Bond is like, why don't you come down here and put your back into it? (laughs) Yeah. I really feel like Bond kind of has flirty banter with almost everyone he interacts with. That's the way that he talks to people. Yeah, that's just the way that he talks to people. Exactly. And so is this thing with Q any more intentionally flirty than everything he says to money penning through Skyfall? I don't know. And with my shipping glasses on, and I told <laughs> you this before we started recording, I thought he had much more chemistry with M's assistant Tanner. I was like, ooh. I agree. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like, the Tanner Bond relationship, that was fascinating. (laughs) They have 
had something going on and I was kind of into it. Yeah. So yeah, even with my shipping goggles on, even wanting to find a male male ship, I would go Bond and Tanner before Bond and Q. I think looking back, we think, why did this become a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And if we we did a little bit of research into kind of at the time what people were saying in both fandom spaces and like, you know, people who write about fandom spaces, what they were saying about this ship. And it seems that when it came out or like even before it came out, I, I think there was kind of an expectation that there was going to be some sort of shippy fandom around these two for a variety of reasons that we mm-hmm. can talk about. One of them is white guys being white guys. It kind of is a thing. Yeah. And I think we talked about this in our last episode, too. Hot white guys. They're bantering. It's a big popular property. A lot of people are going to see it. They're British. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, you know that it's going to happen because people are just always looking for some white guys to ship. And here are some more white guys to ship. But we did read this great Daily Dot article that came up with a, a few other interesting reasons that they had predicted that people would be shipping these two and those I would like to talk about. So one of them is, I guess, a thing that I hadn't really thought about, but does not surprise me, is sort of just the look of the guys. One of them being Mm -hmm. this buff, manly dude, Bond, I guess. And then one of them being this, you know, twinky, nerdy guy (laughs) who needs to be protected. A physically weaker person. And so they're talking about this being similar to kind of a similar ship, Arthur and Ames from Inception, who also are not on screen very much together, but had a pretty sizable fan reaction. And I will say this article is interesting, too, because we, again, talked about Arthur and Ames and the ships we're not going to cover. And I was like, I don't know where this came from. And it's like, oh, maybe it's also. Yeah, that's where it came from. And it actually fits in with several of the things we're about to talk about, which is interesting. They share similar qualities, but I hadn't put a name to what those qualities were. So yeah, you've got your large protective alpha male and then your smart, like usually like sarcastic, but nerdy, uh, smaller one. There's like a brains and a brawn to the situation. So that, yeah, does seem to fit a lot of different types of fandoms. And then this article introduced something that I had never heard anyone say before, but I love the concept of. That it is a suit fandom. Mm-hmm. So a fandom with just attractive people in fancy clothes. <laughs> and so they're going to get chipped together because look at them in those suits. They look so nice. They're in their suits. <laughs> so they this is something they're talking about with Sherlock and Inception and White Collar and suits. <laughs> yeah. USA program suits. So yeah, just like attractive people wearing attractive clothes and getting chipped together, which is hilarious and true (laughs) uh and then they moved on to the idea that it's kind of easy to have these boom and bust fandoms crop up around films because Mm. of them being these little nuggets that are easy to digest easy to get into there's no barrier to entry even in something like bond that is a big franchise like as they say in here, you definitely don't have to sit and watch all of the Dalton and Moore and whatever movies to understand what's happening here. Absolutely. You can even hop right in with Skyfall. Like you don't have to watch all the Craig movies if you don't want to. No, and I think for the purposes of shipping, it's actually better to hop into Skyfall because you meet all his like love for this woman. And then there's a lot of stuff about his relationship with women in yeah. the first two. You're right. So that is, yeah, a good point. Like it's easy to hop into if you're looking for a ship. 
And you're like, well, I could just watch this one movie and then I'll have all the canon that I need. It's super easy to get into. And then kind of most fascinatingly to me, there's this concept that we've brushed up against before, but haven't really gotten into. And it's the issue of the role of timing in fandom. Fandom revolves around content. And mm-hmm. as we've talked about, there's a recency bias. The, the more recent your content is, the more fandom production there probably is. And that's sort of what keeps things rolling, keeps them alive. And when you're talking about film franchises or television specifically, there are peaks and valleys of content because there's the time leading up to when it's going to come out, then when people are getting excited, and then either your season airs or your movie drops and everybody watches it and gets all excited and makes their content and then it's over and maybe you're still writing a little bit of content to keep it alive but then eventually there's not a lot to say we've all said everything we can say about the last season or the last movie and we're waiting around for the new season or the new movie or the new thing exactly and so they describe the timing for this movie in particular as being perfect because there were a lot of big, popular, comparable fandoms that were in their valleys at the time. So we're between seasons of Sherlock, those long, long breaks. We're between Avengers movies. We're between seasons of Teen Wolf coming out. We're between Star Trek movies. It's just was this vacuum. And this movie came out at the time when a lot of people from a lot of big fandoms were looking for stuff to watch and talk about. And Skyfall, right, is also 2012. So this is also sort of like the peak of Tumblr. And we've also definitely talked before about the rise of social media, the rise of Tumblr and Twitter within fan circles and AO3 and how that ends up impacting the amount of activity we see. And so this is also in that space of that blowing up, right? Yeah. And so it's this confluence of events that lead to the perfect, you know, soup conditions yeah the perfect soup for for primordial from which this fandom emerges so that is very interesting and i think a thing that i think about a lot now the more i study this stuff and think about it is timing being a big part of how this stuff happens and the life cycle of a fandom and of a property so with all that in mind, and us having just rewatched Skyfall and thinking like, well, how much is there to it really? Is that case closed? Is it white guys being white guys? So yes, like we were saying, you watch Skyfall and you're like, yeah, a little bit of banter. I, I guess I get it, even if it's not working for me. But then when I rewatched Spectre, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> Something has changed between Skyfall and Spectre, specifically regarding Bond and Q. You know, we'll talk about it. I don't know if the uh, creators got wind of this. I don't know what happened. But it is very difficult to watch parts of Spectre without being like, are they baiting us? Are they trying to imply there's something more between Q and 007? Why is this happening? Yeah. So what are these specific (laughs) moments that stuck out to you? So one of the things that I do not love about the Craig Bond movies in general is he is almost never just doing a mission. He is always Mm -hmm. somehow not on official business or he leaves and doesn't want to be James Bond anymore, blah, blah, blah. And so in previous Bond films, Q will show up wherever he is in the field, like non-Craig ones, and give him additional materials. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. Q has shown up because it's his job and M told him he needs to come and give Bond more supplies. Right. Fairly professional. But because Bond is never following orders, 
And Q is constantly helping him. And they haven't done too much to establish their relationship. It's not like Bond saved Q's life in the previous film or anything really happened. It is very strange why Q is bending over backwards, jeopardizing his career to help Bond so many times throughout the movie if he is not for instance, in love with him. Yeah, there's something happening there. Is he just like really flustered because Bond is so magnetic? Does he feel threatened? It doesn't seem like it. Is the implication that he's worried Bond will hurt him or something? It doesn't doesn't seem right to be the case. So there's something happening there where all of a sudden after Skyfall, where they have a few minutes of screen time together, they are introduced as colleagues they work together for a few minutes they like have a bit of banter but are not really bonded for life over the events of the film right (laughs) that skyfall happens and hugh can't go far enough to help bond no matter what he needs early on there is a weird scene and we'll post this gif of bond coming into where q is working and fiddling with a gun and then q comes up and grabs the i don't know what kind of the barrel of the The barrel it's a long barrel Yeah, and like gets into his space. It's very phallic and strange. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then Bond goes to the Alps at a certain point to find Madeline Swan, who's his female love interest through the film. Mm -hmm. And Q comes presumably to tell Bond he needs to come back because he's doing something he's not supposed to be doing. It's not a sanctioned mission. And Bond says, you know, but before we go back, will you do this for me, Q? Will you take this ring and find out what's happening? And Q's like, I guess. One hour. (laughs) Meet me in my hotel room and I'll tell you what I'm able to find. And so then Bond has this whole chase scene. He ends up coming to the room, bringing Madeline Swan with him. And Q seems annoyed that this woman is here. He's like, I invited you to my hotel room and you showed up with a woman. So what's the deal with that? But the weirdest part of this movie for me, from a a Q007 perspective, and it'll be fascinating to see what happens in the next movie, is the film seems to end with Bond walking off hand in hand with his female love interest, Malin Swan, away from everyone else, away from his life. He's, He's leaving. And it feels like, okay, that's the end of the movie. Roll credits. What's going to happen next? Who can say? Somehow I think he'll be back in the business in the next movie. Well, at the end of all the Craig ones, it was always unclear if he was actually coming back because he like hates the process right. of making these films. So yeah, we don't know. sound like kind of a hassle, but they got yeah. him back for one last movie. They did. But there is another beat at the end of this movie where we cut to, again, Q's workshop. He is Mm -hmm. sitting at his desk all alone. The big elevator starts to come down and he's like, oh, who Who, who could that be? Who is that? The doors open and it's Bond. In silhouette. Bond walks in and the subtitles, we were looking at the scene with subtitles, it starts to say like Q stamming. He's like, (laughs) Bond, I I thought you had gone. And And Bond says to him, I need one more thing from you or something like that. I need one more thing. And then Q gives him this weird, like, little, like... Little smirky (gasps) smile. smile, like, what could it be? Is it me? (laughs) (laughs) Cut to. Cut to. Bond is in a car. His car got destroyed at the end of Skyfall. It's the same... The Aston Martin. So he's come back to pick it up. Yeah. And then you just see Bond, and then the camera starts to pan in a reveal. Who's in the car with Bond? Oh, yeah. It's his female love interest. Who we already thought he had run off with before. (laughs) 
also like, why is it a reveal that she's? What were our other options? Who, like, what are we supposed to read into that scene? And I know, like, we're going to do this at the end with the gender swap test, but just thinking specifically about that scene. Yes. If Q is a woman, he goes to Q at the end of the movie, like, I just need one last thing. And then you cut to the car and there's a reveal of who he's with. I think if it was someone other than the person he had just shown up to ask for one last thing from, you'd be like, whoa. (laughs) what's happening there this is weird why are we doing this why did he come back if he was just gonna leave again and the thing is too earlier in the film he steals a car from under q's nose so he shows up when q isn't there and just takes the car so he could have done that again get it himself he comes back to ask q for one last favor because he has to come face to face see him and ask him to help him again yes. like he has done a million times over the course of the movie because the ending could have very well been a repeat of the gag earlier in the film where q realizes the car has disappeared yes the end of the movie could have been him realizing the car was gone and being like oh shucks bond again like the movie should have just ended with him walking off in the sunset with madeline swan i don't think you need either of those other beats but that end beat of q being like oh bond would have been like a comedy beat to end on yeah Sure, that's funny. That's funny. But yeah, coming in, the way Q reacts to him being so nervous and flustered and like, oh my, what are you what are you doing? I thought you had gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need one last thing from you. And then it's just as a car that I could have gotten on my own. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> really weird. Yeah. So that raises a couple of questions about what was the motivation for those things that happened in Spectre following the response to Skyfall? Is there some amount of the math of that being like, oh, a lot of people were really interested in Bond and Q together. Should we be leaning into that at all? Like, it just raises questions. I really thoroughly had the expectation that I was going to rewatch these two movies and it was just going to be small scenes you know, not charged, almost nothing there. And then to get to the end of Spectre and be like, I really don't know what they're trying to accomplish. (laughs) If it's not this. I don't know, man. I know that in the trailer for No Time to Die, Bond shows up at Q's apartment and Q's like, so you're not dead then? And Bond's like, I missed you too, Q. (laughs) But again, he has a woman with him. He brings a woman again. Why does he keep showing up to Q's space and bringing a woman with him? These buffer ladies (laughs) with him. (laughs) terrible so okay there are questions it's not so cut and dry like we expected so yeah that's the text we're able to find answers to this question of what they were doing inspector i mean in terms of specifically what they were doing with bond and q i would say no there were not answers (laughs) there was not even really discussion of the two of them but what we did find is a lot of discussion of who we haven't mentioned yet javier bardem's character in skyfall named silva he kidnaps Bond at one point and he has him tied to a chair or whatever. And basically he threatens him sexually yeah. with some sexual violence, which is a fun thing to do all the time. Everybody loves that. And Bond responds, I think in a way that like surprised audiences for some reason, when Silva's saying something about it being his first time with a man is the implication. And Bond says, what makes you think it would be the first time? Yes. And there's a lot of discussion of that scene. (laughs) There is. So sort of generally about is Bond gay, right? Or queer or just not straight. (laughs) Right. 
or Javier's character. There's a lot of yeah. discussion of both of them and what that scene specifically means about their own identities, which is funny because we'll get into what everyone says. But in my mind, that scene doesn't tell you anything about either of their identities. Like, it tells you that one of them is using the threat of sexual violence to intimidate the person they have held hostage. And it tells me that the other one is used to being held hostage and basically trying to respond in kind to his captor. <laughs> right. Yeah, the I think we'll get into it a little bit too, right? But for the spy, sex and sexual violence are both tools. Yes. All things are tools. Not just the spy, but especially James Bond. Yes. So what do what do our folks what do our folks say yes. about these things? So we'll start with the actor. We have one quote from Daniel Craig. Somebody asked him whether he could be gay or what I don't know the actual question, but something to that effect. And he said he didn't think he could imagine, I don't know if it's this James Bond being gay or any James Bond being gay, but basically says, because he's not gay, and I don't think Javier's character is either, I think he'd fuck anything. And we realized in discussing this quote that we don't know whether the he and I think he'd fuck anything is Javier or James. (laughs) (laughs) But to be fair, I think it could be either. And I think the implication of that is again not really about the identity of either of the characters it's more about like the functionality of it right because seemingly half of james bond's job is seducing women in the service of the queen <laughs> like for some reason that is the thing that is most useful as a spy tool so though we haven't seen it on camera i have to imagine if this were a real life situation if he were called upon to seduce a man for his job he'd do it Right? I think so. That's how I read James Bond. But whether or not that means in his own life, on his own time, I can't say. It it is like a a functional thing for their jobs, which is a bit of a separate issue. So that's really all we have from Daniel Craig. Nothing about Q. This really seemingly was not on the radar of a lot of people, at least not a lot of interviewers. It doesn't seem like they got asked about it. Yes. But again, we have more discussion here about the Javier Bardem scene from the writers and directors. So what did they have to say? So they asked John Logan, who is one of the screenwriters for Skyfall, about whether or not they intended to imply that Silva was gay or bisexual. And Logan said, essentially no, but he, quote, some people claim it's because I'm in fact gay, but that's not true at all. Director Sam Mendes and I were discussing There were so many scenes in which Bond goes mano a mano with the villain, whether it's Dr. No or Goldfinger or whatever. And there's been so many ways to a cat and mouse and intimidate Bond. And we thought what would make the audience truly uncomfortable is a sexual intimidation, playing the homoerotic card that is sort of always there subtextually with characters like Scaramanga and Man with the Golden Gun or Dr. No. So we just decided we would play the card and enjoy it. Now there's a fair amount going on here. I mean, like we said, it's just one more way for a villain to threaten someone. And we're all really used to seeing it mostly with female victims, but there's no reason that it can't be a male victim as well. (laughs) Like it's just a thing that people like to write because the audiences are like, oh no, that's terrible. (laughs) But I think this is actually getting at something we're going to talk about a little bit later it's interesting that he references all of the homoerotic subtext of these various villains in other Bond movies, because there is a fair amount of queer coded villainy in the history of James Bond. And the Javier Bardem character potentially falls under that 
category as well. Yeah. Yes. So that's its own thing. Its it own is. issue. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. We also have from Sam Mendes, who directed Skyfall and Spectre, but I think this was just after Skyfall. He says, I think there's a huge homoerotic undertow in a lot of Bond movies. And there's a lot of camp too. And I wanted to embrace it. Then Javier took it on and shifted it to another level on the day we shot it. The way he undoes the buttons of Bond's shirt. I was very particular about pushing the discomfort. I said to Javier, you're fucking with him. Is he into Bond or does he just want to freak him out? (laughs) He goes on to say, you could read it that way. That option was there in the script. The word that Mendez kept using was uncomfortableness. Beyond the sexuality, he wanted it to feel like you don't know if Silva's joking or not. So, yeah, it's interesting to go into this conversation about Double OQ and this ship and this fandom and find basically no discussion of it, but like a ton of discussion about coincidental queerness in Bond that happened in the same movie where this ship came up, but nothing about Q. It's just this weird set of circumstances. I think another thing, I don't know, I can't remember if we want to discuss it here, that comes up in this ship and has come up before, right? Is this question of fans saying, oh, the writer is gay. So he intended to put a a gay subtext in the thing or Ben Wishaw is gay. So the character is gay. Yeah. Which I think is kind of problematic in its own. When you think about it. (laughs) I think, I think the actor thing is more problematic than the writer thing because. Right. Because yeah, just because a writer is gay doesn't mean they intended gay subtext, but I do understand people thinking, well, the writer is gay. So it's not like the idea of queer people has escaped their understanding, right? Yeah. They're not, you don't, can't make the assumption that they're just so heteronormative that queer people (laughs) didn't exist to them. And I think it's also similar to the case with Sherlock. You would hope people within the group that you're part of would also want that representation and then would put it in the media they create. Exactly. So I understand the desire and the hope that, yes, your your gay writer would make a more inclusive piece of media, yeah, right? Exactly. Well, it just reminds me of that freaking Mark Gaddis quote where he's like, you could write a, a show about a gay blah, 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 but that's not what this is. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, why not, Mark? Who's in a, a, a position to write a show about a gay detective me or you if you could get me a deal with the bbc i mean i'll do it (laughs) i mean if you insist so yeah i think we wanted to talk about that a little bit but yeah that's kind of all we have from any of the creators we couldn't find anything specifically about double oq we couldn't find anything from ben wishaw about his in the back of my mind i could have sworn i remembered him saying something about it so if anybody finds that or remembers ben wishaw having said something about double oq Send it our way because I thought I remembered it happening. Right. It's always possible we just couldn't find it as we were searching for it. So yeah. Yeah. Let us know. Let's find out what Ben Wishaw has to say. But where is this ship in terms of its popularity on the metrics that we use on our our AO3? Yeah. Well, it, it is on the list. Good for them, at least for the moment. I think it's been dropping in uh, recent years. Maybe it'll shoot back up. When No Time to Die comes out, they're going to go up the list. But as of now, they sit at 96 on the list of the top 100 ships. They have about 7,000 works on AO3 of the 12,000-ish total works in like the James Bond tag. So it's definitely most popular ship there yes and similar to the recency bias we talked about right like the majority of fan fiction on ao3 
is about these Craig movies. Yes, it's definitely the most popular ship of the Bond ships. Though we did see a fair amount of Bond slash M fix, and we assumed that probably meant Ray Fiennes, but no. <laughs> They clarified that it was Judy Dench, baby. And we were like, for that. That scene in Skyfall where he shows up at her apartment takes a different turn. It sure does. <laughs> See, I'm into it. But obviously, that's a different conversation for a different day. But yeah, it, it is on the list. I think it dropped several slots last year. But again, once No Time to Die comes out, we'll see if it goes up or down. Ben Wishaw is still Ben Wishaw. He's cute and people are going to ship him. He's got a great head of hair. He does have a good head of hair. Bond is showing up at his apartment. Sure, Money Penny's there, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) She can wait outside. I don't know. But interestingly, that trailer clip leads us into the most kudos to Fick that we both read, which is, it does. The Fick is called Synchronicity, and it's by a writer called Stereobone, and it is actually the second explicit fic that we've read because it doesn't Mm-mm, the third really oh a leverage fic was explicit a leverage fic you're right 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 so okay yeah things are broadening our hard and fast rule about everything being just like a really short fluffy fic is is not the case in all situations we're learning yeah. but the reason i said that the trailer led into it is this is a fic about every time james bond gets back from a mission And he's either like hurt himself or he's just like isn't ready to hang out in society yet. He shows up uninvited at Q's apartment. (laughs) So first he shows up and needs stitches from Q and Q doesn't understand why he's there. But then he starts to show up and he starts making him dinner (laughs) at one point. And another time his shoulder's dislocated and he needs Q to fix it. But then another time he... Q has a cat and he just like is bringing him cat food for his cat. And it's just, he goes on and on and Q cannot figure out why Bond keeps showing up at his apartment. And then eventually he realizes that he is attracted to Bond and Bond is likely also attracted to him. But it actually, it's very funny. I enjoyed the writing. Yeah, it is explicit, but I would still say it's a pretty cute fic. Like it's a, it's a cute little story of of Bond showing up. It's interesting too, this idea that we talked about at the beginning of like the older stronger man and then the younger slighter man thinking about the hannibal fic we read hannibal also cooks for will and they have kind of i mean it really made sense for hannibal because that's hannibal's whole i know but but yeah but but i think they also have a similar dynamic of hannibal is this older larger man and will is this slighter fair person you're not wrong Um, now i'm gonna see that everywhere i look yeah so anyway that also just of the fan fictions we've read, I'm like, oh, he's cooking for him. Uh, just like Hannibal. Yeah, just hanging like out Hannibal. With his... Is he planning to eat him as well? <laughs> he's showing up at his place and hanging out with his pets. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like that Hannibal <laughs> It is. You're so right. I just didn't think about that, them being very similar stories. Yeah. But it, it's kind of uh, interesting because the like fun stuff about this one is the idea of Bond, who is the most closed off, repressed sort of character you can imagine, mm-hmm. making himself vulnerable in this way. So it's like he's showing up at first because he's physically vulnerable and needs help. But then eventually, like, he had a really bad job and the people he was hunting were like super awful. And it's like traumatizing for him. And he, he opens up a little bit to Q because he needs emotional support. And so it's about that sort of seeing the vulnerable sides of him that you don't 
get to right. see on film usually. Hence fic existing. Yeah. I, it was cute. I liked it. It just becomes sexual at the end, which is not always the case. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So yeah, if it had stopped earlier than that, if it had stopped with like, oh, I think I might be attracted to Bond and he's into me too. And then they kissed or something like that. And that was the end. It would yeah. have been uh, similar to all the other ones. But while we're discussing fan fiction, <laughs> please tell me about Cyril Connolly. Okay, so this was interesting. We've talked before too, you know, I think particularly with the Sherlock case. And mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, right, Lord of the Rings about like fan fiction and fan culture pre this sort of 2010 Tumblr AO3 digital age and what that was like. And I think there'll be some cases that we talk about later as well that have these sort of earlier versions of fandom. So it was very interesting to read that the first queer fan fiction of James Bond was seemingly written in 1963 by this guy named Cyril Connolly, who I guess was, you know, like an intellectual writer. He was also a friend of of Ian Fleming. And he wrote this fic uh, called Bond Strikes Camp. Which was published in London Magazine. Like, this is fan fiction that somebody just wrote and then published in a real magazine. (laughs) We talked about this before as well. This falls under the umbrella of parody. So it is also a parody. So in this this fan fiction, Bond Strikes Camp, the premise is M persuades Bond to dress in drag in order to affect a honey trap. So to to seduce someone as a woman. But... Mm -hmm. M actually takes the role of the target so that he can be picked up by Bond. <laughs> Incredible. And I want, I, so if anyone knows if this is online somewhere, please send it to us. Because we could only find that it existed in a published book that was a collection of short writings. But I'm desperate to read it. It sounds delightful. But this sort of parody of, of Bond as a gay person, this isn't like the only example. There was another interesting example about 12 years later, it looks like, uh, called The Spy Who Minced In From the Cold, which is just like, what a title. <laughs> delightful. By a guy named Stanley Reynolds, which was published in Punch in 1975. The piece took as its starting point an assertion by historian A.J.P. Taylor that Britain's best agents were specifically recruited homosexuals <laughs> and consequently reimagined Bond and M as gay, which is like top to bottom fascinating. I love everything about it. And to your point, and you know, we talked about this outside the pot as well. If you're going to have a spy who is trying to get in with powerful people and influence powerful people... He's going to have to seduce some men as well. Yeah, because it's men in these positions of power. It's interesting to me that they've gotten by so long on him just seducing women who are like henchmen for the actual guys. And it's like, wouldn't it be easier if you just seduced, you know, whoever the the bad guy is? Which is also interesting because as we talked about a little bit at the top, there is this history of, of queer coding a number of villains Yes, that I definitely think we need to talk about. And so it's strange that you have these queer-coded male villains who are theoretically attracted to Bond, whether that's Goldfinger in Goldfinger or Scaramanga, who's Christopher Lee in The Man with the Golden Gun. His his weird thing about him, like the thing, the way they know it's him is he has a third nipple too. Like that they're like, how often is he taking off his shirt to show them his nipples? (laughs) Um... But the thing that's interesting, too, I think, particularly about Goldfinger is there's also a history of lesbians in Bond's fiction. 
and he turns a lesbian in Goldfinger. Oh, but then you have this queer coded male character, and you're like, no. This is bad all around. (laughs) (laughs) This is rough. Yeah. Whichever way you look at it. The lesbian he turns is pussy galore. That's oh yeah. I didn't know that was her storyline. Obviously, I've heard of her because everyone's heard of her. Yeah, it's it's a terrible story. So Ian Fleming was a misogynist and seemed to particularly hate or fear lesbians. So it was also the case of like, she had a traumatic childhood and like became a lesbian. Oh, and then, you no. know, he turns her and it's like bad. Yeah. Um, the only, like the other major uh, bit of queerness in the Bond um, film franchise, which doesn't really necessarily involve Bond, but could have, is in Diamonds Are Forever, the two henchmen, Mr. Kidd and Mr. Wint, are pretty clearly gay. Like, there's a scene where they're holding hands, which is very cute. That is cute. (laughs) But yeah, so there are opportunities throughout Bond's history. I mean, yeah, probably not in a movie in 1963. Well, and I mean, opportunities, quote unquote, but really it's like the reason all of the villains are queer coded is because audiences are supposed to read that as evidence of their villainy. Yes. Although I was thinking about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a weird situation, right? Because it's so wrapped up in what it means to be masculine. So the villains are queer coded because they are flamboyant or weird or have tics or something, something, something. And it's meant to contrast with Bond, who is this very stolid, serious, masculine, non-emotional character. masculine. Right. And it's how do you make your villains interesting and like weird without them then reading as queer and that is also inherently problematic. And I don't know how to solve this problem, but it's, it's bad. The solution is queer bond. Yes, it is. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's a dangerous road to go down where it's like the only queer characters in your work of fiction are villains. Yes, uh, for sure. Yeah. So I just really wish that we could read Bond Strikes Camp. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I don't know if AJP a. Taylor wrote a book about his thoughts that all the spies were especially recruited homosexuals or if we wrote a scholarly paper. I didn't I look know. into yeah, was it, it, but like I- investigative journalism. <laughs> or he was just like, this makes sense. I'm going to pause in it. <laughs> just an idea that he had. I'm curious about it. I am curious as well. So I think that's kind of all of our quote unquote literature to discuss yeah. this week. What we didn't find and, and haven't for the last several weeks, I'm noticing is any good fan creator interaction? What's going on with yeah. that in our recent <laughs> our recent episodes? There's not a lot going on with the meeting of the minds. Well, you know, I don't, again, like we have the case that these are are movies, and yes. although it's a franchise, the Bond movies are not made even as consistently as the Marvel movies. You have a clear right. slate of films with the Marvel movies, and like. The Bond movies come out whenever they come out. And then, you know, after everyone, they're negotiating with Daniel Craig if he's going to come back. And then it gets delayed because he has other projects. And he was like, I guess I'll come back. And then they get a director and then they lose a director and then they get a new director. (laughs) Like, it's like a very lengthy process. And so there's every chance in the world that they're not going to make another one with Craig or Wishaw's not going to come back. So I think it's probably a little harder. How can, what can you really demand of the fans to to do on their end to try to shape this franchise yeah but the specter stuff is so weird it just it seems like they they it seems like they're doing something i mean they are doing something (laughs) it's just hard to tell what that something is so let's do our usual gender swap test wait no we have to ask the oh yeah 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 okay 
let's ask the question. Is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? What are your thoughts? Spectre feels like queer baiting. I don't understand how to read the end of that movie, except as queer baiting. It is so weird. How is that happening? And it's, it's like... I don't know if subtle is the right word for it, but it's not crazy overt in the way some of this is, but it also, I don't know what the other reading of it is. That's the thing. It's in there for some reason, and I'm not sure what that reason is. If it's not to be like, you guys like the Cuban thing, here's some of that. <laughs> right. And again, I don't, I don't know if it's the way they're building the relationship, but if you expected Bond to come back and have one last beat with one of the people in in MI6, would you think that was Q? Or do you think he'd have one last conversation with like Ray Fiennes or well, Money Penny, who he seems to have like, a closer relationship with? He does. With. He has a close relationship with Money Penny, and I could see that. But I also think that they probably would think that is confusing when he's leaving with another woman for him to come and have one last beat with Money Penny. But what does that tell you about how confusing it is for him to come and have the last beat with Q? Because if Judy Dench was still M, it would have been a beat with her, right? Like sure. it would have had to be a beat with her. But his relationship with Bray Fiennes as M is not nearly as close as that relationship was. So then, yeah, you're like, who is he most emotionally tied to? Maybe it's Money Penny. They definitely seem close. But I think that the writers know the implication of him coming back to say goodbye to Money Penny is kind of romantic and confusing when the next scene is him leaving with Leia Seydoux. So it's funny that then they did sort of the exact same thing with Q and it feels confusing because it is confusing, but they were like, well, it's a dude. So probably most people will just write that off as like a normal thing for him to do. even though It's not a normal thing for him to do. It's just so weird. I mean, if that movie had ended with them walking off, do you think anyone in the audience would be like, did he ever get his car back? No, zero people would have thought that. <laughs> did he ever get it? I really liked the movie, but it left open that one thread about whether or not he got his car back. <laughs> so yeah, I'm kind of with you. It would have like, honestly also still been less weird if like the point was him to get his car back if he had just driven off by him it's just it was the the pan reveal yeah of leia to do in the seat next to him because who else would it be who else was it supposed to be he already had his walk off into the horizon (laughs) moment with her they were supposed to be ending up together at the end of that movie the only reason anyone was confused about who he would end up with is because you had him go back to cq for no reason (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking about how who else it could have been and how funny that scene actually would have played out if like you think he's going off with Lisa Do and then they pan around and it's like Ray Fiennes or like <laughs> Tanner. It's Tanner. I wish it was Tanner. Imagine the gasps in the audience. That would have been amazing. If it was Tanner. And I love that as like the ending too. Like he saves Leia Seydoux or whatever. They walk off together. You think they're going to get together. But then he shows up to see Q and you're like, well, maybe he's going to end up with Q. And then <laughs> the last beat is that he's with Tanner. And the crowd goes wild. We're like, finally, these two guys can get together. <laughs> they're so in love. I wish. So anyway, I really don't know how much they're trying to accomplish, but I, 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 I feel baited by that. It's so bizarre to me. How do you feel? What are your thoughts? I think Skyfall is not queer baiting. Yeah. It's not queer coding. It's not queer canon. It's not queer anything. It's just like a couple of guys 
I try and have a little banter on screen. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I do and I don't because I didn't really need to spend the time doing it. But I kind of wish I had rewatched Spectre in the last week so that I could get on on your level. But I, you know, we watched the end scene together. And I've seen the little clips. I've seen the gifs. And I get it, man. Like, there's a there's an element of fading to that. And it's just like, why? Why did you make these choices is the question to me. So I don't know. I think this is where it is helpful for us to have the gender swap conversation. So yes, I guess we're gender swapping Q, even though I love the idea of gender swapping Bond. (laughs) But say we're gender swapping Q. And then we've already discussed it in the context of that last scene. But thinking about all of the scenes. And, and Q is a woman and they have the same sort of flirty banter and this woman keeps helping him in all circumstances for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> and she invites him to her hotel room at the snowy ski resort. And then he shows up with another woman and she's sort of like, wow, why did you bring this woman here? And then at the end of the movie, he shows up and it's like, I just need one last thing. And she smiles at him. And then we cut to he's with another woman. <laughs> Yeah. You know what's interesting, though, now that I'm thinking through that as well, is that is his relationship with Money Penny throughout the it franchise. 1000% is. He never has sex with Money Penny. Money Penny nope. is very into him. They're flirty. She's very sad when he gets married in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So it's like, he doesn't seem to want to have sex with anyone he works with. And I get that. Why complicate things? So I, I actually could see that scene playing out just the same way with Money Penny, but it's just, again, so fascinating. Yeah. They're treating this male character for this potentially queer bond in the same way he treats money penny which is constant flirtation and never following through on anything that is funny that he is sort of falling into the money penny role that intrigues me though because it makes me feel like in the finale at the end of bond if there ever were to be such a thing he's like supposed to end up with money penny right if you're thinking about it as like the way they write tv shows and keep the main characters from getting together through any number of ridiculous reasons and then it's like okay the show's gonna end this season they can finally get together it's like it feels like that's what's supposed to happen yeah (laughs) bond and money penny so i guess the question of why isn't it canon must be asked but I feel even weirder now than I did before we entered into this conversation. Because at first I was like, well, it's not canon because why would it be canon? <laughs> it was never supposed to be. Yeah. It's just Q and Bond and it is what it is. One of them is an agent and the other one provides him tech and that's their whole relationship. Yeah. But now what are our answers? Because he doesn't sleep with anyone in MI6. Yeah. It's not going to help him do his job. It's going to hinder him doing his job. So that seems like a good enough answer. Yeah. <laughs> this, the reason he doesn't sleep with Q is the exact same reason he doesn't sleep with Money Penny. Whatever you think that reason is. Yes. Because there's no other way to read. I just thought, oh, God, that last unit's factor. I can't get over it. I was so, I was just floored, Maddie. I was watching it. <laughs> You know, I was kind of half paying attention to the movie itself, except for the scenes with Q and and 007, because that's what I was watching it for. And oh boy, I was floored. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, at at least it makes me really interested to see what happens in No Time to Die. I am very interested. So we do want to, I guess we have to rate it. Yeah. (sighs) I I could have sworn when we plotted out 
our yeah. podcast series and the episodes we were going to do. And we made up the scale and we said, you know, from a one, which is like, I don't know what these fans are talking about, to a five, which is unrepentant, malicious, queer baiting. Our one on the scale when we planned it was double OQ. <laughs> we had every expectation that this was going to be wholeheartedly our two white guys in a room barely any scenes the fans have just gone off on their own conversation and again right it takes off with skyfall and i do think there's a little bit of that there but i can't explain specter to you (laughs) on multiple levels (laughs) i can't explain the plot i can't explain character motivations (laughs) i can't explain that last scene yeah but I, i really don't know how intentional it is from the part of the creators I'm, I'm just, I've, but it's like a two or a three, maybe. I'm just, yeah, baffled. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, we're not rising anywhere near a four or five. I yeah, think. it's just not nearly enough evidence for what was going on in any of their heads. But part of the evidence of it not being a one is just the change between Skyfall and Spectre. If yes. the, if their amount of interaction and the tone of their interactions had stayed the same from Skyfall to Spectre, one easily. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. I guess we're at like a two or a three. I don't really know. (laughs) Oh boy. It's a mystery. (laughs) Well, it feels less conclusive than I was hoping for, but an interesting discussion. Perhaps we will get more evidence in no time to die whenever that ends up coming out. Yeah. But I mean, unless they like get together, it's hard to get evidence of a negative. Whatever happens in no time to die is not going to prove that Spectre was not queer baiting, you know? That's true. I don't know. We'll see how things proceed. But I'll ask my, how are we feeling about fan fiction check-in question? I'll tell you what, if we can get a hold of Bond Strikes Camp, I definitely want to read that. I really think that might be the thing. We've been looking all along for a canon that you like, but don't think is so perfect that it shouldn't be touched. And something with humor in the parody space. I think that could be the fic for you. It could be. So if someone can get me, I mean, I'll read the spy who minced in from the cold too. If someone can get me. If anybody has any vintage Bond fanfic, please send it our way. We'll be eternally grateful. Absolutely. So what are we talking about next week? So next week, we are diving into a sort of more general conversation about Femslash. Ooh, ladies. Ladies. I've noticed there haven't been very many of those in our previous conversations. It's true. We talked, you know, a little bit about Femslash in the ships we're not going to talk about episode. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was a lady in Leverage, but we're going to spend a little time diving into what's going on with Femslash. Yeah, double the ladies, double the fun. Why are there only three flame slash lips on the top 100? What's going yeah, on? What's going on there, fanfic writers? <laughs> uh, so that's good. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, if you have responses, thoughts, comments, questions, tell us we're dumb, tell us we're cool, tell us we're awesome. Tell us whatever. Send us Bond Strikes Camp. Send us Bond Strikes Camp. I'm desperate for Bond Strikes Camp. If you want to send us that or anything else, we can be emailed at ltbkpod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. And also, if you're feeling frisky, <laughs> leave us a uh, leave us a review. New episodes of the pod come out every other Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. 